You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello and welcome to Garibaldi Red, the Nottingham Forest podcast from Nottinghamshire Live. My name is Matt Davis, hosting as ever, and we're joined today by Reds legend Gary Bertels returning to the show and Forza Garibaldi co-founder Greg Mitchell to talk about, well, yet another defeat, but... Um, Maybe some positivity and maybe some, I don't know. I mean, that's one of the topics we'll come across. But um, good afternoon or good morning, gents. Are you both well? Excellent. Thank you. Good, 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 good. Thanks for joining us again. Both of you are friends of the show, so thanks for coming on. Um, I mean, Gary, I'm sure Greg won't mind giving Gary first dibs as a club legend. I mean, what did you um, make of last night's game? It's just a hard watch at the moment. It's just so difficult. I said the, the last time I watched that, I kept switching over to Mrs. Brown's boys' Christmas specials. You know, it was that that difficult to watch. I just needed cheering up a little bit. And uh, it, Norwich was always going to be difficult. This run of games was always going to be difficult. Um, but it's, it just doesn't seem very much improvement at the moment. And I don't put this down to Chris at all. I, 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 I think maybe the players are getting found out a little bit. Maybe they thought they were a bit better than they, they are. And um, you've got to get out this malaise at the moment because the longer it carries on, the deeper you go, the confidence dips even more. Uh, you've just got to get out of it as quickly as possible. And, you know, it was a close game. Um, you know, they, their winner was, you know, a lucky deflection again. And those sort of things seem to be going against us at the moment. All, all the things seem to be going against us at the moment. But we have to turn that round. We have to get positive and uh, the only by, the only way you're going to do that is by start winning football matches or even get a draw. You know, a draw would be you know as good as anything at the moment. And we're just fortunate that the teams around us down at the bottom are losing games as well and not getting away from us. But you look above us and there's a little bit of a gap appearing. You know, you look to Millwall. I think it's six or seven points, and that that's a concern. You don't want to be going into the new year playing massive catch up because we've seen it before how we've struggled and uh, it's it's not comfortable for any fan to watch that. There was an interesting divide after the game, Greg, on Twitter. There was the one camp very much, we're absolutely doomed, we're going down, that was utter garbage again. And then there was the more kind of, uh, a bit more positive, but still obviously very worried. I mean, which camp were you in after the game? Oh, it's worrying because I was proud of that second half performance. I thought it was as, as good as we've played under Chris Hewton. Uh, but it's always a worry when you walk away proud of the way we lost and you, you've got to start looking at where the next points are coming from. And it's incredible that we're in this position because, you know, after Sabri went, I thought that was the solution and we've just not improved and we're not creating the chances. So I'm in the camp of still got some positivity because you don't keep playing as well as we did in the second half and keep losing. But then again, this the infamous lines of too good to go down and things like that. We've got to start, got to start improving quick or getting results off the performances. The thing is, as well, I, I'm not a stats person, as you probably well know, but the stats are a bit damning uh, in the shots department. You know, shots on target. You know, you look up over the past five games, and there's hardly anything in that column, and that's a real concern. The creativity's not there. You know, Carvalho got a lot of stick. Uh, I gave him a little bit of stick, but I, I thought he got a, a rum deal a little bit because he never got, what, seven or eight games in the team so he could have an influence on what was going on. And then Silver comes in, he's disappeared. Where's that creativity? You know, and I, I, just, I just, that final third is so important. 
and we just don't Joe Lolly seems to have dipped off a little bit people maybe getting used to the way he plays uh, you know he likes cutting in they know they know his strengths and oppositions go through an opposition you know with a fine tooth comb you know pick the weaknesses look at the strengths and you know they they work on it and you can see that happening and i feel sorry for taylor up front because he runs his legs off. He, he absolutely puts everything he possibly can into the, every game he plays. And he gets no service. And I just hope when Graben's fit that, you know, Chris might say, right, let's go talk from, you know, let's change it. Because we are predictable at the moment, the way we play coming out. Norwich, I, I watched a lot of them when they were in the Premier League, commentated on them. And they never had a plan B. They always played the same way. They always played one up front. And that's why they went down for me, because, you know, when they were losing games, they never went to a different plan. And I think we're a little bit like that at the moment. You know, Chris is getting to, you know, to learn about everybody. He's got a lot of learning to do because the squad is so big, you know, and we can't get rid of anybody. Agents will just be saying, right, stay here. You're on good money. And we know they are. And, uh, you know, it's a difficult one for Chris because I'm sure he'd want to get rid of quite a few of that squad. And in January, have his own say and bring people in who are going to make a difference. And that, that is the key for me. Try and get win a couple of games. Try and catch up a little bit in the league. Get into January in a safer position. And hopefully then Chris will be given the wherewithal to go out and pick whoever he wants to pick and bring them in. Because that, I think, with the Forest fans has been the big annoyance. You know, the recruitment, it's not been particularly good. Uh, you know, we've, we needed strikers. You know, we, Lewis Graben scored the goals last season. I always said if he'd have got injured last season, we wouldn't have been anywhere near the playoffs because nobody else apart from Joe Lolly was chipping in. So, you know, things have got to change. I think everybody knows the creativity has got to come to the club. And hopefully Chris will get the, uh, the wherewithal to go and do that. How many goals would you get in this team, Gary, when you were playing? <sighs> I've no idea. If you don't, if you haven't got a John Robertson or a Martin O'Neill, you know, wide, you know, I was lucky. Yeah. Crikey, how lucky was I to have those two guys? Uh, but we had creativity all the way through. You know, we had Archie Gemmell in the seat, you know, team, Ian Bowyer, who scored goals for fun from midfield. You know, that's what we haven't got at the moment. We haven't got a midfield player who is chipping in with goals. We haven't got a centre half who's coming up and scoring, you know, four or five goals. We've got nobody scoring goals at all at the moment. You know, so we, when you've got none of those, that's when you're in massive trouble. And that's the conundrum Chris has got to try and solve, but it's not easy. Hmm. What did you make of the first half, Greg? Because I was moderately encouraged. I mean, I thought some of the passing was absolutely horrific and the, the pedestrian play through midfield, but they, but they were decent enough. And then they go and shoot themselves in the foot yet again, don't they? It, you know, it's, it's the forest of last year conceding in the 48th minute. Games never go 48 minutes in the blooming first half. Uh, we're cursed. I swear we're cursed this year. But the first half, I didn't enjoy it that much. I was frustrated. But towards the end of it, we did look a lot better. Gave us hope going into the second half, which we were kind of proven right because we did play a lot better. But um, going back to Gary's point about things like the... the um, the midfield and having that people feeding them. We, we've got the opportunity to have five subs this year. Uh, if we'd have had Silver, Cash, Carvalho's on that bench, we're missing that creativity so much. And those options that last year only having three subs and having the five this year, it's just a crying shame with our massive squad 
There's just not anywhere on that bench where you think they're going to change the game for us. Mm. I can see you nodding along there, Gary. You agree with that, do you? Absolutely. You know, you always look at a bench and you think, well, how strong is a bench? That's one of the things I always look at first when the team sheets are announced. You know, when I'm commentating, you know, how strong is a bench? You know, if need be, who can come off and make a difference? And I don't think we have that at the moment. When Amiobi's on the bench, yeah, you know, he can come on. He's a, he creates a little bit of a spark. But at the moment, I think he's that solitary figure who's trying to do that. And, you know, he's trying maybe too hard and, you know, he loses out. Sometimes when you think, well, he could pass it, he's trying maybe one thing too many. But I ain't got a problem with that because at least he's trying. He's trying to make a difference. He's trying to create something. And uh, he's the only one at the moment. You know, you, you think when he's on the ball, something might just happen. And you need four or five of those. But there's, there's none at the moment. And you, everybody I hear say at the moment when, you know, Colback and uh, Yates are in the same side. It's, it's a very negative look to the game. And I think we, the problem we've got, because we play the way we do so deep, that when Taylor, you know, when we do break, Taylor's by himself and there's no, no support for him. You know, and then everything breaks down because of that. They get back, mm. the opposition get back. They've only got one to mark, so that's not a problem. And then you know, that, we just hit a brick wall and then we're under pressure again. And I just think teams, you know, have, have worked us out a little bit. And, uh, you know, it's just a, a very difficult thing to get out of when you, you're down at the bottom of the league. Mm. Do you think the last couple of games have highlighted just how kind of Forest are quite pedestrian, aren't they? You know, Norwich and Reading passed the ball so well. And David Prutton on Monday talks about a lack of pace in the Forest team. I kind of feel like the last two games have just really highlighted that. I mean, do you? What do you reckon, Greg, about that? Um, yeah, absolutely. We we've, we're relying on one striker up front. Who you know, he he looks fed up. He looked fed up when he came off the last game, and I don't know whether he got injured uh, yesterday, but he. I mean, at least he acknowledged that the, the uh, manager when he came off, which was a bit better. But we're relying on young swan coming through and suddenly being this striker or, or whoever's going to help and uh guerrera who you know he didn't cut it at olympiacos so i'm not sure how well he's going to do here um it's just it is a worry the more you the more you talk about it and the more you think about things the more worried you get about where we're going this season to be honest Mm-hmm. I mean, Gary, you can talk more about strikers from a qualified position. Do you? I assume that Taylor came off after sixty minutes because he's played so many minutes. But do you think that's right, or is, or do you think that Hewton was looking at it tactically and made a rather curious change? Um, I'm always curious when you know the striker comes off. He, he's, he's, play, he's playing a thankless role at the moment, and he's doing it well for me. He, he never shirks out of anything. You see him close down. You see him sliding into things to try and get blocks. But you can only go so far with what he does up front, you know, because he needs help and he's not getting that service. Strikers thrive on service. And if they don't get it, they get picked out because they're not scoring. Their influence in the game isn't as sufficient as it should be. And it's easy to pick on a striker because they're the, you know, the ones who get paid the most money. They're, they do the hardest job in the business. They score the goals. And when it's not happening... You know, the first, you're losing games, you're not scoring goals. The first one you look at is a striker, which would be unfair for me because, as I say, I've played up front by myself. I played up front in the European Cup final against Hamburg. And I'll tell you what, it's not easy. And, you know, I played in a fantastic team with fantastic players. But, you know, we, we were under pressure in that particular game. 
And it was the job I had to do. And I knew that. And, you know, you, you just get on with it. But on a weekly basis, you know, it must be devastating continually not to get the opportunity or a half chance. And when the half chance does come, you know, the goalkeeper saves it. You know, that was it the last game when he was close in the ball to the far post. And, you know, people say he should have scored. The keeper made a decent, decent save. But when you only get one of those chances per game, you know, that's that's when it becomes difficult for a striker. You're expected when it comes your way to put it away. And when, you know, you're not getting that number of chances, it becomes more difficult when it does appear, you know, when it comes your way. I know that when I was at Man United, you know, when I wasn't scoring, you know, you tense up, uh, you know, you're a little bit, you know, hesitant because you don't want to miss. And, uh, you know, I, I know exactly what he's going through. And I think you've got to persevere with him. I'm fed up of all this, you know, all this talk about number of games, number of games. You've got Jurgen Klopp banging on about, oh, too many games, this, that and the other. Uh, you know, I, I counted the games over two seasons. I've mentioned it before, 136 games I played from the start. Where, you know, the friendly games when you, there was no such thing as a friendly under Klopp. We, we talked about this before. But, you know, it's December. You know, it's not it's not April, it's not May, it's December. You know, it's a privileged position you're in playing professional football. Get on with it and enjoy every minute. Don't tell players they're tired because then they'll feel tired. You know, it's a great, you know, anybody would love to play. Ask, ask people who have to go and work in the NHS how difficult that is. They're playing football for goodness sake. Stop whinging about tiredness. You know, give them a day off training. Don't go on the training pitch. Clough used to do that with us. Used to come in and give you a couple of days off. And I'll tell you what, that didn't half lift your spirits. You know, when you come in, all right, I'll see you. You're on Tuesday, right? I'll see you Friday. You know, it lifts you. And then you come back in refreshed. Can't wait to get back on the training pitch. Can't wait to play a game. You know, for goodness sake, these managers, stop whinging. Just get on with it. Players mm. now, you know, the privilege are on big money. You know, get out and play the game and enjoy every minute you can on that football pitch because it's a short career. Yeah. You know, and you don't get not everybody gets that opportunity. And you know, I, I feel for you know Taylor when he, he gets dragged off, he didn't look happy. I'm delighted he didn't look happy. You know, I wouldn't want him coming off and you know with a smile on his face. So yeah, it's it's we've got to change something round, I think, on, on the pitch. And if Graben gets fit, I, I'd love to see Graben and um Taylor play up front together because I think that would work for Graben because his work rate will be done by Taylor. It'd be perfect for him. He could feed off Taylor because Taylor had it. You know, he'll flick things on. You know, he'll cause defenders to make mistakes. And then Lewis, you know, we we know what he can do in those final 18 yards. He's, you know, if it comes his way, generally, he'll hit the target, you know, and he'll get the goals. So it'll be interesting to see when he is fit, whether Chris goes with the two up front. Is two up front and not the thing you'd like to see now, Greg. Got to do something different, haven't they? Like yeah, Gary it has, it has to be like if it was um, a light for light substitution yesterday because of tiredness. That doesn't solve the the, the way the game's going, does it? You know, it, that wasn't anything different. That was just changing a player for, you know, arguably not not a better player. Um, so I worry about the the grabbing situation because it has been quite quiet. Um, and I just really hope the stories of him being in light training are true and we are going to get him back because just before his injury, he was rumoured to be going to Qatar. So I hope that isn't, you know, still going to be about in January because we're not in our situation going to be able to replace a striker as good as Graben, especially in January. It's such a harder window. So 
the key for us to surviving and pushing on for the rest of the season. Because, you know, as, as crazy as it is now, teams do go on runs and we are still well within our uh, capable of going on a good run and getting up that table. We need grabbing more than more than anyone in that team at the minute. Um, the, worrying, the worrying thing for me at the moment, you look at the teams above us, you look at Luton, you know, they shouldn't be above us. You know, they've got the lowest budget in the championship and they're punching well above the weight. You've got Rotherham above us. You've got Coventry above us. You know, the teams there shouldn't be better than us. You know, they're, they're there by right. They're not lucky. They're there. They deserve to be where they are. They're playing better than we are. They're creating more chances than we are. And we have got to do something quickly to turn it around because that's what people look at. How can those teams be above us, you know, with the amount of money that you know has been spent on the squad and there has been a lot of money spent on the squad? It's, uh, it, you know, it's crazy amounts. And, you know, this is, I've heard Forest fans now saying, well, things aren't right behind the scenes. That's a load of baloney for me because they couldn't have done more behind the scenes for everybody. The fans, you know, they talk about the new stand. I don't know when that's going to happen now because of, you know, what's happened, obviously, with the pandemic. Um, so all the, you know, the stuff about, well, you know, things aren't right behind the scenes. The, the, the owner couldn't have done more to get things right for the football club. The recruitment is one thing I think hasn't gone well and that's got to improve. And it'll only improve if you give Chris Newton the wherewithal to go and do it his way and bring his players in. Then people can judge what he does, who he brings in and say, right, well, you know, Chris brought these players in. They're not done very well. Or crikey, look how well, you know, they've done since, you know, Chris brought these players in. He has to have carte blanche on who he brings in. Mm. Um, Greg, we'll come to your. I know you met with uh, people from the club this week, was or last week, with in your Forza Garibaldi capacity. So we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, there's an interesting question here. I mean, we talk about recruitment. Uh, and one absolutely fell piece of recruitment is Zach Clough, but he did score a couple of goals in a friendly in the week. And I think we're clutching at straws in a sense, but he is creative. Um, is is there a case to be made for giving him a go in a you know desperate times? Do you think? Greg, well, put that on to uh, you, sorry. I think with the way we are at the minute, I think if this, uh, you know, this splinter squad or bomb squad or whatever people are starting to call it is right, if we're paying them the money, give them the chance. They're not really mm. going to do much worse on the training pitch than the current guys are, are they? And if Sackcliffe is playing well and he's fit in the under-23s, just get him training with the full squad. He might be desperate for that chance. And, you know, he's, he's clearly ho hopefully not done anything wrong behind the scenes to put him in there. He's just not in favour. Um, so if we're going to pay him, <laughs> get him training with us, get him playing. And I'd say that for some others as well. If we were doing a lot better, it wouldn't be as necessary. But we've got a big squad for a reason. Uh, yeah, mm. why not? Mm, true. Um, there's a point here that Greg Orb says that he's not in the 25-man squad, which I think is true, but I think he can change it in January, so he might have to January, wait. January, yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, 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 I thought he'd gone. You know, when somebody said, you know, Zach Clough stood at the club, I think it was Nigel Clough, because Mansfield played a game at the training ground the other day, I think. And, uh, yeah, that's it, yeah. Yeah, and he, he said, oh, Zach, I said, you're joking, I thought he'd gone. That's, that's you know, how long it is since he's been involved. I mean, I, I commentated on him when he was at Bolton, and he was their best player. You know, oh, he was creative, he was scoring goals. And when he came in, I thought, oh, what a decent buy, you know, this lad's been. 
But then, like you say, Greg, you didn't get a chance, a, a regular chance, and then you suddenly fall into, you know, number maybe 30 out of 35 in the squad. And where's your next game coming from? And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the, you, you demoralise. There again, though, you know, would his agents say go out and, you know, on loan? Go, go somewhere and prove a point. I'd want to go and prove a point if I'm not in contention. So I don't know what the situation is there either. Yeah. I mean, perhaps a more viable option is Brennan Johnson coming back in January. I saw another video of him in action for Lincoln last night, absolutely tearing it up in League One. Um, although I think this was in the paint pot trophy thing, but, he, but he's playing very well. Uh, from a young player's point of view, Gary, would you bring him back or is it better for him to stay at Lincoln and develop and Forrest Gamble that they do stay up without him? Well, if they do bring him back, then massive pressure comes on his shoulders because it'll be it'll, the only reason to be brought back would have been, would be to bring him and put him in the team. I would think not sit him on the bench because no point, no point in bringing him back if all he's going to do is sit on the bench. Um, do you give him a chance? I look at Gareth Southgate. You know, the, with the England job, he's prepared to give young players a chance if they're playing well for their teams. I know it's the Premier League we're talking about, but players in form. You, you should give them a chance. You know, don't just leave them you know, on loan. Younger players may be different a little bit um, because, like I said, that pressure thing, if they do come back off loan and they're thrown into the deep end with a team that's not playing well, not scoring goals, that pressure becomes very intense. And if they don't do it, then, you know, they're out again on, on in the background. You know, will they go backwards? You look at Ben Brereton. You know, he was suddenly moved when he played. He was up front. Then he got moved to the right. Didn't suit him. And he dropped off. His confidence went rock bottom. So that's how quickly things can turn around for you as a player. So you've got to be careful with the younger players. But if it continues like this and he, he does keep ripping it up there, yeah, then bring him back and say, right, OK, I'm going to give you an opportunity and let's see what you can do. You can't lose by it if, you, if you're not doing particularly well at the, at the bottom of the league. You know, give it a go. You give him a chance and say, right. You know, I, I was lucky. I was given a chance at that time. You know, when um, Peter With was sold, and Steve Elliott, the lad, came in. He was terrific uh, in the reserves. Great goal scorer, but just didn't happen for him in the first four or five games. Then I got thrown in. You know, and I was lucky that I'd got somebody who backed me. And he said, right, you're playing well in the reserves. Right, you're in the first team. Go and do it. And you know, you're lucky to get that opportunity. And I haven't got a problem with, you know, no matter how old they are, if they're good enough, give them a chance. See what they can do. Mm. What about you, Greg? I mean, I'd 100% recall him and play him straight away, but what what, what do you do? I'd love to. I'd recall him. But it's all this, are we allowed to recall him? I don't know whether there's a clause. I think we are, yeah. I think we are. Well, yeah, it's a no-brainer then. Get him back even if we do buy other strikers because... You know, if Graben's not fit and Taylor gets injured, where on earth do we go? We really have zero options there to get us out of this predicament we're in. Um, I'd get him back. I'd get Carvalho back. And I know that's such a, um, you know, there's so many different arguments about that. But I would. It's mm. This is Chris Hewton's team now, not any other managers who made decisions before him. And he's a... He's obviously a proven manager. I think he's got the best record in the championship throughout the years he's been a manager. But it's a long-term project for him. With Brighton, I think they went 12 hours without scoring a goal. We only did six hours. But the problem with our football club, as we've always known, is 
we don't give managers the chance and the time that teams like Brighton would have done and they reap the rewards two seasons later. I don't believe if if we are not in the top half this season, then who's saying they won't change it again and we're back in square one and a new manager comes in, players are on loan who we'd rather be playing. Um, so we've just got to let this guy, this proven very good manager, stick with us, even if it doesn't go to plan this year. Mm. I mean, the mm. problem, the overall problem is we just don't look like scoring at the moment. Full stop. That, that's that's the thing. Even set pieces, you know, we, we don't look like we score. You know, going to score from a set piece, and we look like we've, we we can always give one away early in a game, or we can make a mistake early in a game. And every time we do make a mistake at the moment, teams are capitalising and punishing them, punishing us for it. And you know, it's all right saying, "Well, we're unlucky this, we're unlucky that." You make your own luck sometimes. You have to. And stop blaming, you know, bad luck. Um, but I was I was lucky never to play in a team that was struggling at the bottom of the table. I was always, you know, when I was at Grimsby, when I was at Notts County, you know, Man United was the biggest struggle I had, you know, to get in the top six, you know, and I couldn't score and I got a bad injury and all that sort of stuff. So, I, you know, I don't know what it's like to be down at the bottom of the league. It must be absolutely awful. But you've got to stand up, uh, you know, as a player, as an individual, and you know, my, I'm surprised Michael Dawson's not been in, involved in anything uh, under Lamouche. You know, he's left out. And at that particular point, Michael Dawson was needed in that team at the back end of the season because we're conceding goals from things coming in the box. We didn't have a leader out there. Had he been in that team for three or four games or come on 10, 15 minutes from the end of a game, we would have been in the playoffs, guaranteed. But mm. he, nobody used him. Nobody utilised his experience. And I think that was one of the biggest downfalls of, of, of not getting the playoffs, not utilising somebody like Michael. Because, mm. it, you know, you need a leader out there. We don't seem to have that. McKenna, you know, I, I've been impressed with McKenna. Um, I think his partnership with uh, Worrell could be particularly good. But it's not there that we, we're struggling. We're struggling there as well because nothing's happening at the other end. You know, you can play as well as you like as defenders, but if goals aren't going in, you're under pressure then as a midfield player and as a defender because, you know, you're not scoring goals. So every time you're not scoring, the pressure comes on you as a back four, as a back three or whatever. And and that's what's happening. I mean, the goal we conceded, uh, you know, when Samba didn't come out, you know, he just waited for the ball to come into his hands. And then I have to disagree with my old teammate, Viv Anderson, a little bit. He said on Sky that uh, it's instinctive. He, he would have done the same thing with a handball. No, he wouldn't. You don't do that. If it's 75 minutes or 80 minutes, maybe, you're 14 minutes into a game, it's nil-nil, you don't go and handball it there. You go one-nil down, you've still got 11 men for, you know, nearly an hour, an hour and a half, well, an hour and 15 minutes or whatever. Don't do things like that. You know, go one-nil down. Uh, don't get yourself sent off. Then you're putting pressure again on, on your teammates. So, no, I don't think, you know, it's instinctive. I never saw anybody do that in our team when we played. You know, you just don't do those things. So, mm. Viv, I'm sorry, I disagree with you on that that particular point. Not many things I do disagree with him on, but that is that is one. And then you know you're putting your teammates under pressure. They played very well as well with ten men. You know they, they were tremendous. You know to only get beat as they did, um, you know was pretty pretty impressive. But it's the other end. It's it's the, that is always going to come to the fore. Scoring goals, that's why strikers get paid more than anybody else. The hardest job in the business. 
and that's where we are struggling massively because Taylor's not getting. I'm, this is not. I'm going to go at Taylor at all. I wouldn't have a go because he's getting nothing to feed on, and there's no midfield players scoring. Nobody is scoring goals, so you can't blame the striker who's playing up front and trying everything he possibly can to make something happen. Gary talked about service there, Greg, and he mentioned set pieces. And he, I, he's spot on. The set pieces were utterly dire until Knockart came on. And Knockart did make a difference, which leads to the question of Knockart's future because they can sign him in January, but it will be permanent. And he's not going to be cheap. And I think it would be madness to sign him. So maybe they extend the loan. I don't know. Or maybe they send him back. I mean, where, where do you stand on Knockart, Greg, and what they should do with him? Gary mentioned set pieces. That one yesterday when we're 18 yards out on the left-hand side, yeah. play it across the goal for Norwich to go on a very dangerous counter. You think, oh my God, and knockout comes on. The set pieces, the balls he puts in are superb. But in all honesty, he is a he's a Premier League player. He's a brilliant player. Personally, he's going to cost too much money. I don't think we're currently in the position to spend that type of money on a player to get you in the Premier League rather than a couple of players to get you out of the mess we're in. Um, I'd love to see him signed in January, but I don't believe that we will. No, I mean, I'd extend his loan, but I would not buy him yeah. because he's, he's, he's too got a very real risk of getting relegated. And then you've got a bloke mm. on, I don't know what he's on, a, a very high wage in League One. It, I think I, I read it was 60000 at Fulham, and yeah. they only paid they paid ten million for him in the summer, yeah. And they've already got him on out on loan, so they're going to want, you know, even if they want half that back, it's a hell of a lot of money for a team fighting financial fair play every single year that we're in this league. Yeah, true. What would you do in January, Gary? I mean, if you're if you're Chris Hewson, how would you Just concerning get... him? Uh, well, in general, actually, I suppose knockout and in general of how you go about threat signings in January. I think watching him as well, I, you feel a little bit sorry for him as well because he, he's got prem, Premier League mentality playing in the Championship and he can see his team is struggling. And I think sometimes he tries a little bit too hard and a little too much and maybe he does one trick too many and you know gets dispossessed. But again, I don't hold that against him because he's trying to do the right thing. Uh, he's trying to make something happen. But sometimes maybe an extra touch is not needed, play it earlier, get it in the box earlier, whatever. But I can understand why you know he does that sometimes because nothing's happening. He's trying to make something happen. Um, but I, I just think Chris is not daft. I mean, his record in the championship is tremendous, and he'll know what's wrong and he'll know what's needed in that in that team. Clearly, it's the midfield, central midfield. It, it needs to be you know two, not just one player. We need two creative players in there, you know, because one creative player easy to mark, you know, when you've got options that, you know, when we always go back, I'm not saying about our team because the success we had was just outstanding at that particular point. We had Robertson and O'Neill, you know, we could switch flanks and both of them caused trouble for oppositions. And that was the beauty of having those two players. You know, you weren't predictable. I think we're very predictable at the moment. Uh, teams, you know, find it comfortable to defend against us uh, because there's only one up front. I sometimes say, to, to my son, you know, I think I could have played, you know, sent off in that game uh, against, you know, Forest at times because it, it's it's comfortable for sent halves at the moment against us to to defend. And I always go back. I said on the podcast last time, 
I mentioned Liverpool, the pressure they put on teams in their half, in the opposition's half. You know, they they pin them in, they don't let them, you know, they don't let them out, and they force mistakes. And, you know, the number of goals they score because of that, the work rate there. I, mean, I don't think we do that enough in the uh, the opponent's half. And if you do that and put teams under pressure, then mistakes come. But I don't think we've got enough pressure on oppositions at the moment to force mistakes and to make things happen in that final third. Mm. I mean, they don't press the ball at all, do they, Forrest? I, I don't think they press the ball. They sit back. I mean, that's a uh, that's a way of playing. That's fair enough. But Nor- Norwich pressed Forrest. And I thought they coped well second half, actually, Forrest. They passed it much better. But but first half, they couldn't, you know, they, they couldn't string two passes together, could they? So you're right but, about that. You made a very good point earlier on that I meant to address about pedestrian way we, we play it you know it, it, it is slow it's laborious and you know we used to play t- in training we used to play three touch two touch one touch you start with three touches and you don't need three touches then you go to two and then one touch and that just helps you so much when you go out on a pitch on a on a Saturday you know the three touches you'll get closed down you'll get dispossessed you go to two touches you know and you, you'll cause problems and if you you know you can mix that with one touch in the final third you'll cause even more problems. But we, you know, we have too many touches on the ball. We don't get the ball in the box early enough when we've got the opportunity. We take one touch or two touches too many. Um, and, you know, that, that we look, I think we look scruffy in the build-up sometimes. You know, and you look at teams, I always go back, look at the teams who got into the Premier League and you look at how Leeds are doing. You look at West Brom, they're struggling a little bit. But they got there by, Having the players in those in the right areas, the creative positions to cause problems, you know they they moved it quicker, you know, and they look more athletic than we do. But you know, half the time the problem is because we've only got one up front to, to try and find. You know, it's difficult when you've only got that one outlet, you know, for a player who's got the ball at his feet. Um, you, you can get it wide, yeah. You know, you'll see Christie going forward. And, but then it seems to break down. It's it, it's so difficult to watch at the moment. I, I feel sorry a little bit for Chris because, you know, he's got that many options, that many players to see and try and, you know, get his, his best 11 in his mind. And it's got to be so difficult. You know, he, uh, it, I, I don't envy him at all, but, uh, you know, he, he's done it before. He's a common influence. And he just hoped that he, he gets the right players in in January and that we're not really, really in trouble going in the back end of January. You know, in December, not too bad. Well, it's bad for Forrest, but, you know, we're not in the bottom three. We're just above it. Two wins takes you, you know, a little bit safer. And then you've got January to come. So, yes, we've had difficult games, but so have other people. Uh, you know, I think Luton beat Norwich, did they, last week? Was it a couple of weeks ago? 3-1, did they? Did... Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so teams like that, you know, are finding a way to beat the fancied teams. Last mm. season, we did well against the fancied teams. Maybe not so much, you know, this time. We got Brentford at the weekend. Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah which is not going to be easy again. You know, that run of games before it started was going to be difficult. It's even more difficult now because we can't get near a win. We can't buy a win at the moment. And, you know, the longer that goes on, you know, the confidence is going to go even further down the pan. And, you know, it's difficult for them for Chris to raise everybody. Will they stay up? You asking me that? Yeah, I don't see why not. You know, mm. you look at the basis of the squad. There's the core. You know, I think the spine's not bad. The goalkeeper is one of the best. He's made a couple of blunders. 
uh, but he doesn't make many. I think McKenna and Worrell, if you get those two fit, that's you know a pairing that's as good as anything I think in maybe in the championship. Then you've got up front, okay, but the the one glaring problem we have is that central mid, midfield area. You know, when you play Colback, I've seen the Forest fans say Colback and Yates in the same team. You know, it's a little bit negative, and you've got to agree with the Forest fans on that. It is negative. You know, you need some influence in there. You need somebody who can do things when they're in possession of the ball and make something happen. And that's the one glaring area. Clough always said, build the spine right. Goalkeeper, centre-half, centre-midfield, striker. And I think we've got three of those elements right. But the one element that we're sadly missing at the moment is creativity. Uh, Will they stay up, Greg? I should ask you as a fan as well. I think the most important thing that can happen now this season is December 16th, um, the Tier 2 comes in for Nottingham. Because it's such an unlevel playing field for me that we have to go to to places like uh, Watford and Norwich and they've got 2,000 fans. And 2,000 fans in an empty stadium, they can make a lot of noise and get on referees' backs. And I go back to the Watford game when that player clear red second yellow card at least three times. And, you know, the advantage was played and it's like the referee forgot about it. If there was those fans in the ground... You know they'd have got on his back, and they can make they can change referees' minds. Um, I love the fact that this fans in the grounds, and I wouldn't want to take that away from any club, but it is unfair that they are can we have clutching it the straws? Are we clutching the no, straws? No, not at all. No, <laughs> you know when we scored yesterday, you could have heard a pin drop. Then all of a sudden, Norwich kick off. You hear a roar from the crowd. You could see they'd got that extra step there. And I, th- I do, I think it's so important that we get some level of atmosphere back in that ground. Let's, we... let's put this in perspective a little bit. Teams at the top, they're going to be in Tier 3. They're not going to have uh, you know fans in. You look at Leicester just down the road. They've got no fans in. Look how well they're doing in the Premier League. You know, it's all about mentality when you go out there. You know, some players adapt to it more, maybe. They can, they, they can get used to it a little bit more without fans. And other players need that that noise to feed off. And it, it can be difficult, without a doubt. You know, when you're playing for the reserves, you used to play for the reserves. You used to play on the first team pitch. You used to play at the city ground. And, you know, you used to get fans in there, but it echoed around the ground. You know, about a thousand people in there. Um, so I, I think some players adapt better to it than others. You look at the golf at the moment. You know, that's why uh, I think a lot of uh, professional golfers are doing better in the, the big tournaments because there are no crowds there. You know, Dustin Johnson won the Masters, yeah. Uh, but other players, you know, came through. Morikawa, you know, came through and won one of the big majors. And I think it suits other, you know, in every sport, it suits other people maybe differently. Uh, you know, cricket's a better, you know, thing to, to, to look at as well. Didn't seem to affect cricket at all. Football, I think, is the big loser in this because the nature of the crowds, you know, the build-up to everything, you know, coming to the ground, it, the, the whole thing the fans bring. And now fans are being, you know, lauded as, as, you know, being missed. And perhaps we took them for granted a little bit before, football fans. And it just shows how important they are to every football club. Um, and the sooner we get them back in the, in the stadium, the better. But while they're not in there, you can't make that an excuse. Because other teams are going about the business and they're doing well under the same you know, circumstances. 
since we're talking about fans, then obviously, Greg, you're co-founder of Forza Garibaldi. You and um, who was the person you went with? Matt? Or Droid. Yes. Sorry. Matt, you yeah. And, yeah, you had the opportunity to meet with senior figures from Forest um, recently and put across some of the concerns that fans have expressed about kind of the, the flow of communication out of the club. I mean, what can you tell people about that meeting? Um, first off, it, it was unplanned. We, we did genuinely need to get into the ground to sort out potential displays for when we get back. We're hoping to get back on the 26th, well, not so much us, but 2,000 fans. Uh, and we'd love to be able to do something. So, you know, the club approached us and said, we need to talk about getting fans back in. Um, and we just thought it was a normal meeting. But when we got there, uh, it was with the CEO, Yanis, who's been, you know, he's getting a lot of stick online at the minute. Uh, the chairman, uh, Nick Randall, uh, Johnny Owen and ourselves. So we didn't have time to plan. We didn't have time to think up a lot of questions. But to their credit, we spent two and a half hours in a room with them and asked them pretty much anything we could think of at the time. Um, they answered a lot of our questions. They couldn't answer some. To be honest, it gave me a bit more hope than when I, I had when I uh, went in there because it's clear they are planning on being here for the for the long term. Um, it's hard because we've got a lot of stick the last few days online for not coming out and saying exactly what was said. But we want to give the club the opportunity, and we said this to them that they don't need to just speak to certain groups, you know, whether it be Forza or the Trust, they need to come out and address the fans like they had done back in 2017. You know, the chairman's very good at that, very good at speaking. And I think it's about time and it's only fair that these fans that have sat at home for the past, you know, nine months get to hear what some of the things, some of the good things that are going on within the club. Um, They admit they've made some mistakes. We, we spoke about things like, um, we asked the question about Ben Watson not being acknowledged. Uh, and they admit when he left and they admit things like that were mistakes. The original season card, uh, you know, debacle, you could say. We spoke about that at, at quite some length. And they do see mistakes have been made, in my opinion. This is just my opinion. But um, I do hope now that they're willing to have a look and um have a few discussions with fans because you know there's positive things coming out of the club they spoke about certain things that they've been doing and you know Yanis the chair uh, the CEO spoke for two or three minutes really passionately about what they've been doing within the club and afterwards all I said to him was that's what fans want to hear like why aren't we hearing things like that give us a bit of hope especially why the only way we get to vent at the minute is online. We're not going down the pub after the game and we're not speaking to our own friends in the ground. You know, you, we're quite distant from everything that's going on. And whilst there's silence, things are going to bubble behind the scenes from the fans. So I'm hopeful over the next month or so, uh, there will be a few good developments from within the club and we'll all get to hear about them. Mm. From a former player's point of view, Gary, I mean, they've been pretty welcoming to you, haven't they, the the, the current ownership? Yeah, they certainly have, but it doesn't matter about us, you know, ex-players, it's not about us. It's fantastic, yeah, because in the past, you know, we've, we've sort of been punished for what we've achieved, you know, by previous uh, managers and, you know, you, you wondered why, because we never sort of, 
went after the glory of it. You know, we yeah, we won the things we did. You know, that's how we we addressed things. We just got on with it. Yeah, we won it. We we never said you know, oh look at us. You know, we did this, we did that, and you know, for the club to come in and be as welcoming, you know, to the DX players as they are, has been fantastic. But it's, I, I think behind the scenes, it's looking a lot better. You know, since uh, Maranakis came in, he, he's put everything right off the pitch. You, you know, you hear when things were going well, you know, the fans, 30,000 people in there all the time. They couldn't speak highly enough of what was going on. And all of a sudden, because the pandemic's come along, we're having a bad time, you know, playing-wise. You know, we threw it away last season, not getting into the playoffs. You know, all of a sudden, you know, the blame game changes a little bit. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, I think that's wrong because they, they couldn't have done more, I, I think, at the moment. You know, I, I went round with them to the backroom staff to schools to talk about the uh, dream big. And, you know, they're trying to do all that, those sort of things with school children at a young age, you know, saying, you know, you, you can do these things. I mean, I came from a council estate. And, uh, you know, was able to come and play professional football. And I wasn't supposed to be able to do that because of where I came from. You know, I used to be a floor layer. And, you know, they're trying to do that and make sure whether you play football, whether you want to be a vet. You know, you go to the schools and it's about whatever you want to do. You know, think big. And these sort of campaigns, not a lot of people sometimes see these things that are doing behind the scenes. And I I think it's fantastic. And, you know, when uh, the, I think one of the, when the, was it the, when the pandemic started, all the food they went, uh, you know, took the, was at the ground and took them to homeless people and things like that. They're doing all things like that behind the scenes. And I, I think it's fantastic. I've seen it at first hand. So you know, there's a lot to be positive about, but it all gets overshadowed when you're playing badly, when your team's playing badly. Because if you're playing badly and you're in trouble, then obviously all the negativity comes out and all you see is what's going on on the pitch, which is understandable, you know, quite right, you know, but let's get it right. There is a lot going on behind the scenes that is very, very good. They've got a lot of good people there. I mean, my grandson, he goes, he, in the summer, he goes to uh, near the training ground. They do things for the kids there. You know, I went to watch a couple of times there and pick him up and, you know, these sort of things they are trying everything they possibly can to do the right things. And, uh, you know, like I said, the, the stand they're going to build, hopefully. You know, nobody saw all that coming and it gave everybody a hope. And then the pandemic comes in and sort of dashes it. And, you know, last season, not getting the playoffs was, you know, devastating for a lot of fans. You know, but we've got a you know, we've got a chance now, you know, the vaccine and everything. Hopefully, you know, it's not going to be an overnight thing. You know, we've still got to all do the right things. I mean, I, I don't even walk out without a mask. At the moment, we, even in the fresh air, I've got a mask on all the time. Uh, you've got to do these things because the rate will go up again if we don't. And we all want to get back to to normal football-wise as, as quickly as possible. You mentioned, Greg, you know, how important it is for clubs to have 2,000 people in. You know, it, it, it can lift you. And, uh, you know, don't all of a sudden, because we're not playing well, start the blame game of, of saying, well, it's not right behind the scenes. Yes, they've got things wrong. Everybody gets things wrong. You know, the government gets things wrong with the, you know, the pandemic. Admit it when you you, you do, you know, you, you are getting things wrong. That's what people appreciate when you say, yeah, we didn't quite handle that as well as we should do. And, um, you know, I, I, I think for us, by coming out and saying those things to you, Greg, uh, you know, it, it's particularly good because you see all the time, you know, with, with this pandemic, so many people won't admit that when things have gone wrong. 
admit they've gone wrong, admit you've got things wrong, and people appreciate that more. You know, your, your frankness, you your you know, you're open about it. You you don't say, oh no, well we got this right, we got that right. You know, admit it when you're wrong. It, it it's not, you know, a negative. You know, be upfront, and I think Forrest have done that. And it's you know the the owner's got a lot of credit to take from that. He's put his money where his mouth is. It's just on the pitch at the moment. We've got to get it right, and hopefully, Chris will get it right. And January is the key area for us now. So, as fans, Greg, who who is it you want to you want to hear from? Is it um, the owner? Is it the CEO? Does it really matter? And what kind of things are you looking to hear? Is it like an explanation of the transfer policy or more? just general openness about the good things that are going on? I mean, what what would you like the club to be doing? I think, uh, for starters, um, give us some hope on the, the ground developments. You know, that's that was such a positive um, thing at the start of this year and people were getting really excited about where that's going. That's obviously gone silent for whatever reason, but I'm really hopeful now that in the new year, things will develop with that. Um, you know, again, the, the mistakes were made in the season tickets. Uh, that's done now. And they rectified that and they rectified it quickly. It didn't take them long to realise, you know what, this isn't as good as it could be. Uh, and now the ones of us that have taken up option one are hopefully going to be in the ground within the new year. And, you know, that's a fantastic achievement if it happens. Um, so just things like uh, back in 2017 they spoke about a fan advisory board getting all the fans involved you know i personally wouldn't want to be on that but getting the fans that don't really hear as much as sometimes we're lucky to hear involved within the club and they had all these great ideas at the start and it seems for me the craziness of this this year and everything it has been pushed to the side and starting to rejuvenate a couple of, a couple of these things that were starting to look good um, just fans need hope. Football's the most important of unimportant things. And, you know, when it's not going right on the pitch, we need to know that things are going right off the pitch and we're not hearing that at the minute. Right. I think we'll almost leave it there. I'd like to give Gary a little slot for any other business and I could see he was itching to say something. So is there anything else you want to say before we finish, Gary? No, I, I think you've got to you level things up You know, with the pandemic. Nobody has been through this before. So none of us know what to do in certain situations because we've never had to do it before. You know, we've all had to learn lessons. We've all had to be, you know, forego things. You know, uh, you, it, it's it's something that in any walk of life, no matter what you do as an individual, uh, you know, as a government or whatever, it, mistakes are going to be made because you've never seen it before. And it's going to be the same at football clubs. We're very lucky to have a very wealthy owner. You know, a lot of clubs haven't got that. And, you know, with that size of that squad... He's maintaining that at the moment, putting money in on a weekly basis. You know, and you figure out how much he's putting in on a weekly basis. You know, it's staggering. So, you know, let, don't give the blame game to the, the owner because without him, who knows what could have happened? And who knows, you know, with the pandemic, none of us know because we've not been there. We're not, we, you know, it's, it's crazy what it's done to people's lives, you know, mental health and all that, you know. So there's no blame game there because can you do a better job? Can anybody do a better job? You know, can anybody do a better job as a, you know, all the different countries we've seen, you know, treating the pandemic different. You know, they, they said it was going okay in certain countries. All of a sudden, those countries it was all right, going all right in are seeing massive cases. And so 
you know, it's easy to blame people. It's easy to criticise. But, you know, let's all just hope now with the vaccine that we can all, you know, get to normality. It's not going to be normal, normal, obviously, but it's a start. And fans are back in certain grounds. Let's hope, you know, our tier changes. We can do that. We can see the difference it makes. And, you know, go into 2021 with a whole better outlook and big smiles on our faces. Greg, I shall give you the last word if there's anything else you want to say about your meeting or if we've missed anything. It's great listening to Gary then. You know, there's so many passionate people around this club, isn't there? And, you know, it is such a special place and we forget that. Um, the thing I read uh, the other week was that the, the owner's putting in something like £2 million a month throughout the pandemic. If that's true, God, we... <laughs> We are quite brave to, you know, start talking about what's been going off when we don't really know the full story. But um, yeah, this this winter now, we're starting to see a lot more hope uh, regarding the pandemic and fans. And let's hope that on the pitch, things start improving like they seem to be uh, within the news and stuff. Yeah, can we just say as well, you know, we, we, we're giving people in other parts of the world stick for what they were doing during the pandemic. Nottingham's getting a really bad... It is, yeah. <clears throat> reputation again you can mm. see why you know the pictures we're seeing you know you think well are, are you daft you know just you know take advice <coughs> sorry i need a drink of water now we're at the end of the show <laughs> but you know it, it, it depresses you when you see that as well because nottingham's a great place to be it's a fantastic city and we're getting a reputation you know for flouting the rules and things like that just don't flout the rules you know let's do what we have to to get everything back to normal. It's a fantastic city, two great universities, two football clubs, a fantastic cricket ground. You know, when Mourinho came up, when he did the forward for the you know, Johnny Owens book, I Believe in Miracles, and he came up incognito on the train from London to have a look at the city of Nottingham, how the, the football club won two European Cups. And he couldn't believe the size of the place, you know, and the, the, how we achieved what we did. And that tells you what a great city Nottingham is. You know, we had a great cricket team. You know, we have test matches here. You know, we've got a fabulous city to be proud of. You know, let's all do what we have to do to get us through this bloody awful time and come out next year when it, things get a bit better. We can all get together again. We can have a drink. We can have a smile. We can watch football. And we can all stop whinging about tiredness and things like that and just, you know, get on with our lives. But you have to do the right thing first. You know, wear a mask. Doesn't you know? So your glasses steam up. I take my glasses off. You know, don't worry about that. Things like that. Do as you're told. I don't think we can rant, add to that. Rant we, over. Rant over. My glasses <laughs> steam up as well. So yes, you're right, Gary. Um, right. I, I can't top that. So I'll probably just end it there and say thanks very much to Gary and Greg, and thanks to everyone who watched along. We shall be back next week with, uh, I don't know what, I haven't planned anything yet, but we'll be back next week with hopefully a good episode and reflecting finally on a Forest win. So, gentlemen, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed that and let some steam off. You certainly both seem to. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Greg. <laughs> we, shall, we shall see you all soon. Thanks very much, everyone. Cheers, Matt.